Hold on tight, because it's a bit of a racy one. Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Israelites, i.e. purchased him, who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favour in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in, uh, to, in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of the household and all that he owned, the Lord, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and she said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he, he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and he ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and he ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him the story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warder. So the warder put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The water paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph 
and gave him success in whatever he did. Thank you very much, Jonathan. And uh, good morning, everybody. Um, And a special good morning to those of you joining us online. Uh, As Paul said a few moments ago, we're returning this morning to the story of Joseph. And we're picking up our journey through this quite amazing life, really, which is full of drama and intrigue. You might remember that a couple of weeks ago when Chris Maggs spoke to us about Joseph's family tree, he likened it to that popular TV program, Who Do You Think You Are? If we look at the whole life of Joseph, there's enough material here for an entire box set, isn't there? And every episode would end with the usual cliffhanger. Are his brothers going to kill him or are they going to sell him into slavery? Is Joseph going to sleep with Potiphar's wife or isn't he? Is Joseph going to recognize his brothers or isn't he? And the episode that we're going to look at this morning is is a key part of the story. As Jonathan so vividly read to us this morning, it's a story of seduction, of temptation, of abuse of power. And it's a story that leads to a great miscarriage of justice, leading to a period of false imprisonment for Joseph for quite some time. In a while, we'll consider the place that this particular incident plays in the overall story of Joseph. For for most of our time this morning, we're going to think about one of the particular themes of this chapter, which is temptation. Obviously, Joseph was tempted by uh, by Potiphar's wife to sleep with her. She was persistent. She asked him on many occasions. And you can imagine it would have been quite easy for him to give in. He could have excused himself on the basis that he was yielding to somebody who was actually in a position of power over him. She was his boss's wife. But he resisted. He said no. And he remained faithful to his God. So, So let's look at the story and see what it can tell us about our own struggles with temptation. Now, of course, only a fool would stand at the front here and purport to give any advice about how to resist temptation. Only a fool would do that, wouldn't he? So here's some advice about how to resist temptation. (laughs) Actually, I'm only joking, because it would, wouldn't it, be pointless for me to try and offer some sort of homespun wisdom about how to resist temptation. Far better to look at Joseph and his character and what he did and how he reacted to this temptation and see what we can learn from him. And maybe together through that we can allow God's word to speak to us. So before we get into um, Genesis 39 in detail, I just thought we might have a try and see what we already know about Joseph's character. And actually there isn't a lot that we can say. There, isn't, there are not many occasions in this part of Genesis where the writer actually tells us what Joseph's like. There's not many sentences which say Joseph was a kind and compassionate person or Joseph was a patient and helpful person. There's not many clues like that. So we've got to discern what sort of person he is from what he did and how he reacted to things. 
But here's, here's three things I think we can generally say about Joseph. First of all, he had quite a strong sense of loyalty and duty. And we see that first in his life, in his loyalty to his father. Going back a couple of chapters, when um, Joseph's brothers were all on the hillside looking after the sheep, and Jacob wanted someone to go and check on them, Joseph was very willing to go. He put his hand up and said, here am I. So he was expressing his sense of duty to his father. We'll see that in a minute when he responds to Potiphar's wife and he relies upon his sense of duty and his loyalty to his earthly master. Secondly, we can say that God was with Joseph wherever he went. We're told a couple of times in this chapter that God, the Lord was with Joseph. Chapter 2, the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. And the very last verse, the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So it's a part of Joseph's life that God is constantly with him. That reflects, if you like, in his character. Third thing that we might say about him, I suppose it is a sort of negative thing really, in that when you think of many of the things that happened to Joseph, they were the sort of things that could easily have made him angry and bitter. His brothers sold him into slavery. He's the victim here in this chapter of a miscarriage of justice. He spends years in prison for something he didn't do. All of that could have made him very bitter and twisted. It could have made him turn against his God. But it doesn't seem to have done that. He seems to have remained faithful. He seems to have remained uh, committed to his Lord. So that's a bit about the sort of character we're dealing with. So let's look at this particular incident and see how Joseph responded when Potiphar's wife tried to uh, lead him astray. How does he respond? Well, first of all, he, he refers to the relationship that he had with Potiphar. With me in charge, he told her, my master doesn't concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. My master's withheld nothing from me. Because you are his, uh, but he's withheld you because you're his wife. He clearly has a strong sense of loyalty and duty to Potiphar. Maybe that, maybe that arises from the fact that Potiphar has actually treated him well. He may be a slave, but he's obviously risen to a position of significant power and authority. It's similar to that sense of duty and loyalty that he developed in his family and that sense of duty to his father. Joseph knows, crucially, that if he gives in to temptation, it's not as if he's just um, sinning in a very abstract sense, where it's just something between him and God. Even if Potiphar were never to find out about it, it would be a betrayal. It would be a, it would be a breach of the trust that Potiphar had placed in him it would have, this sin would have a real-world impact. It would break a relationship, which clearly Joseph values. 
So it clearly helped. If we're trying to think about how the story of Joseph can help us understand temptation, we can say that it clearly helped him that he had a clear understanding of the circumstances of his life. In a worldly sense, Joseph knew who he owed his success to. He knew where he stood in the hierarchy of relationships within the Egyptian court. He understood his place, but he also accepted it. And so he didn't take what wasn't his. He didn't aspire to gain things which would never have been the right things for him. And actually, in some ways, the same is true of us. Whatever the particular temptations that we face, giving in to temptation will very often involve betraying someone. If we're tempted, for example, to fiddle our expenses at work, not only is that a sin against God, but it betrays the trust that's placed in us by our employers. So maybe one thing that we need to learn is that we always need to understand, and it helps us to deal with temptation, if we understand the specific context in which we live our lives and realize that giving in to temptation is not just something that happens in isolation. It's very likely, too, that Joseph had a good understanding of the source of temptation. Let me just remind you of the words of uh, the book of James, chapter 1. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Now, obviously, those words are written long after Joseph lived. But nevertheless, he seems to have an instinctive understanding of where temptation comes from. Joseph fears God in the, in the proper sense, in the widest sense. He, he has a sense of respect and awe, knowing that God is holy and will hold him to account. And so Joseph's words to Potiphar's wife <coughs> are, having said that he's loyal to Potiphar, he says, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? <coughs> we often think that the worst aspect of sin is that it offends God. And yes, that's true in a way. And yet there's a sort of both, both and here, isn't there? If Joseph were to give in to sin... If he, would, he would to, if he were to give in to temptation, he would note both sin against God, but also against Potiphar. So because of the way <clears throat> he understands the situation, Joseph refuses to sleep with Potiphar's wife. Even to the extent, in, we read in verse 10, that he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. So he actually took steps to make sure that he wasn't even in her company, therefore removing himself from the source of temptation. And surely that's a valuable lesson for us, isn't, isn't it? If we know that there's a situation, if we know that there's a type of temptation um, that we are susceptible to, 
Why not take steps to remove ourselves from it? Why not take steps to put ourselves in a safer place where we're not going to be uh, tempted in that way? <clears throat> now, one commentator, <clears throat> one commentator has pointed out the contrast between this story of Joseph <clears throat> and the passage at the beginning of Genesis about Adam and Eve. They were offered something tempting which they knew it would be wrong to take, and yet they did anyway. Joseph's offered something which he knows it would be wrong to take, and he doesn't, he resists. The same commentator suggests that instead of just looking at giving in to temptation as a sin which incurs God's wrath and deserves his punishment, we ought also, or instead, to think of it as something which inhibits God's desire to bless us. It inhibits God's desire to bless us. Let's just see how that applies. To, so if you think about Adam and Eve, God had great plans for them. He created a wonderful environment for them to live in. He created a garden that they could enjoy and yet they gave in to temptation, and so they were expelled from the garden. And God's blessing could not flow to them as he had intended that it should. How, though, does this apply to Joseph? Because if you applied the same principle, you'd say, well, he resisted, <clears throat> he resisted temptation, and that should allow God's blessing to flow. How can that be when the result of him resisting temptation was that he actually got thrown into prison wrongly? <clears throat> well, we need, I think, to look at a longer-term view. God always intended to protect his people, Israel. He always intended to provide for them in a time of famine. The people of Israel were only protected from the famine because there was somebody in the court of Pharaoh who was looking after their interests and who was loyal to him. And Joseph only ended up in the court of Pharaoh responsible for the distribution of the food because he'd met Pharaoh's cupbearer in prison. So you actually, <clears throat> you can see, even though this is a miscarriage of justice, you can see how God was using this situation in order to keep his people safe and bless them in the future. So although Joseph didn't see an immediate blessing, God did bless his people as a result of Joseph's obedience. Now one thing that's worth saying is that we have resources to resist temptation that weren't available to Joseph. When you read his story, he was in a foreign land and he wasn't obviously surrounded by supportive family or friends. But we're part of a worshipping community here. And so when we're facing temptation, we can draw on support from others. Perhaps if we know that we're susceptible to a particular type of temptation, we might even be brave enough to share that with people who can help us, who can hold us accountable, who can be alongside us in order to prevent us from falling into sin. 
as you're probably aware, there's a whole series um, of sayings, in, particularly in the letters of Paul, using the phrase, one another, several of which are quite helpful in this context. So in 1 Thessalonians 5, we read, encourage one another. Romans 15, verse 7, accept one another. Several instances in Colossians 3, bear with one another, admonish one another, teach one another. All of those are helpful in combating temptation. Conversely, we read in 1 Corinthians 15, bad company corrupts good character. That's a great verse, isn't it? Bad company corrupts good character. In other words, if we keep the wrong company, we can hardly be surprised when we get led into temptation. We've got other resources that are not available, weren't available to Joseph, or at least are available to us in a, in a bigger sense. We've got the whole Word of God. As you'll remember, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he, he quoted Scripture at the devil. And let's also remember in 1 Corinthians 10 that we're told no temptation has overtaken you except what's common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. We need to be quite careful with that verse, don't we? Because we do all give in to temptation. None of us resist all the time. And we can't, we can't, when that happens, say, well, God's let us down because he hasn't prevented us from yielding to temptation. But what it probably does mean is that however, however much we might struggle and however much occasionally we might fall into temptation, nothing that we do will ever put us beyond God's love. He will always be there for us. But it is important, isn't it, that we think about what happens if we do fall, if we do fail to resist temptation. Because we all face, don't we, all sorts of temptations. Some of them might be as obvious as the one that Joseph faced, but very often temptations will be more subtle, more insidious, if you like. Whenever we are faced with a choice, as, as Becky was illustrating for us earlier, whenever we're faced with a choice between doing God's will and doing something else which superficially seems more attractive at the time, that's a temptation. And so when, when temptation is as insidious as that, it's not surprising that we all fail. So it's a vital question and we must accept that God loved us whilst we were yet sinners. His love for us is not conditional upon us always resisting temptation. Of course, yes, he longs for us to be sin-free, but he's provided the way for us to be regarded as clean and presentable to him through the sacrifice of Jesus. And if we continue to feel guilty each time we fall into sin... Surely aren't we denying the effect of Jesus' death and resurrection? We have to accept that God's grace 
is sufficient for us. So what, finally, do we think about Joseph? Well, I don't know that it's necessarily helpful to look at Joseph and simply regard him as a role model and say that we must be like him. But what his story does testify to is that the, is he, his story testifies to the blessings that come when we're obe- obedient to God. I've written in my notes his story does testify to the blessings that come when we're obedient to God. And I've added in brackets the word eventually. Because sometimes it takes quite a while, doesn't it, before we see those blessings that come. But they will come eventually. Let's pray. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, lead us not into temptation. So, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would be alongside us as you were alongside Joseph in every situation in our lives when we face temptation. Whenever we think that there may be a better way or an easier way or a more comfortable way than the way that you have marked out for us, we pray that you would remind us of your love for us, your care for us, and the fact that by remaining obedient to you, we will in due course know your blessing in all its fullness. In Jesus' name, amen.